Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Pop Culture Rx is where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these newsworthy conditions. This is Pop Culture Rx. Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin, who was just 24 years old, suffered cardiac arrest on the field after making what appeared to be a routine tackle against the Bengals. This caused a frightening scene. DeMar was administered CPR on the field as players from both teams watched in absolute horror. He survived and is now in recovery and is reportedly making remarkable progress. Today, I'm here with Dr. Dan Kiss, an interventional cardiologist at Jersey Shore University Medical Center and director of the cardiac care unit here to talk about what kind of happened with Damar and what exactly went through his heart at that moment in time. So let's start at the very beginning. Can a hit like that really trigger cardiac arrest? Well, first, I'd like to say thanks for having me. This has been a very hot topic in the media and the number of phone calls from concerned friends and family that I've gotten (laughs) during this time frame has been uh, tremendous because of the visibility of something like this. Right. So the first point I think to make is we truly don't know what happened with Damar. The assumption is that he's undergone all rigorous screening that many professional athletes go through. So other causes of cardiac arrest, and we can talk about those as well, Mm -hmm. were likely excluded previously. As a diagnosis of exclusion, and certainly given the scenario that was described, or that that we saw, you know, it is possible that this was a phenomenon known as commotio cordis, or Latin for agitation of the heart. Oh, good, you said the word and not me. (laughs) Love it. And so, yes, it is a phenomenon that is incredibly rare. So let's talk about what commotio cordis is. So I reviewed the most recent article about this in the New England Journal, which was from around 2010 or so. In the article, the authors go through the incidence of commotio cordis, and we'll talk about how it's caused. But it's an incredibly rare event. In the 15 years preceding that article, there are only 250 reported cases during that entire time frame. So this shouldn't be something that is keeping people up at night, but should be something that does prompt, you know, consideration of learning to do CPR and things like this. What I would say with regard to what happens with commotio cordis, it is a incredibly rare focal delivery of physical force to the chest wall, usually by a small projectile object, but can be due to tackling sports like football or other contact sports. Typically, the most common sport it's seen in, at least reported in the literature, is baseball, but also lacrosse or any other sport that involves a small, hard projectile. In order to understand what pathophysiologically or what is the mechanism of commotio cordis, I'd like to take a step back and just walk you through the anatomy and what's going on. Sure. So let's go back to high school science class and the skeleton in the classroom, you know? When we look at that, you think of, you know, a very still 
object, that the chest wall is this hard fixed cage that mm -hmm. surrounds the lungs and the heart. While it is true the ribs protect the lungs and the heart, they're actually a very dynamic structure, changing with respiration, moving up and down, um, and do an excellent job of encasing the heart behind the sternum. So the rib cage serves an incredibly important protective function of our thorax, meaning the chest, lungs, and the heart, lungs, chest, and surrounding structure. Now, beneath the sternum, slightly to the left side, is where your heart sits in your chest. The heart is an incredibly elegant organ. I may be slightly biased being a cardiologist, but... Possibly. <laughs> but, I mean, the heart controls everything. Well, without any blood, the other organs aren't going to function. Essentially, the heart, to take you through the anatomy of the heart, there are two top chambers called atria and two bottom chambers called ventricles. The right side of the heart, or the right atrium and right ventricle, pump the venous blood to the lungs where it gets oxygenated. The left side of the heart, the left atrium, and then subsequently left ventricle, delivers that oxygenated blood out to the body. So most of the work when we think about where is the blood to your body coming from, it's coming from the left ventricle. Now, the heart is, the heart on a cellular level, the muscle tissues are electrically active, which is why functions like pacemakers and things like that work. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny because you don't think about electrical currents being within the body, and it's not electricity in terms of the way we think about it like a plug. It's more about cellular uh, me mechanics of movement of what we call ions or charged particles around the cell. Now what happens to allow your heart to beat is specialized cells in the top of the heart generate an electrical current or current of these molecules moving through the heart that subsequently triggers a mechanical contraction. So it's electrical mechanical coupling. So that's the, the beat that you hear. Well, the electricity washes through the heart like a wave first, and then the beat is the actual mechanical coupling. So the electrical activity always precedes the mechanical activity, which is why when you follow the EKG, when we see the little spikes on the EKG, that usually very slightly precedes the sounds that we hear. Now, in order for the heart to kind of recharge or repolarize, as it were, in between when that wave of ions washes through, the heart actively reestablishes that electrical gradient. That's a phenomenon known as repolarization. On the EKG, that's represented by the T wave. I know I'm getting somewhat technical here. Yeah, this is might be a little above my head, but I'm following you. I'm following you. During that period of repolarization, when the heart is reestablishing the electrical gradient so it can essentially conduct another beat, there is a very brief period where if electricity or potentially a physical force is delivered at just the right time, in about 1% of the cardiac cycle, it theoretically can cause a disruption of that electrical activity and make it possible for an arrhythmia or bad heart rhythm to enter the heart. So essentially, you have your normal electrical activity washing through and as your heart seeks to restore itself so it can beat again, there's a very, very brief period where it is potentially vulnerable to something like this. Like nanoseconds, we're talking. Uh, 10 to 20 milliseconds, I believe. 
Wow. But very, very brief. And the force has to be delivered in a very focal spot um, in such a way that it disrupts the activity and then that that heart rhythm is propagated. If you look back at some of those old martial arts movies, uh, I think it's called The Touch of Death or something like this. <laughs> this is what the old uh, legends were that there were martial arts masters that could time their strike to that exact point and suddenly induce death afterwards. Wow. So it actually does exist in the literature for many, many years. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like timing is really the key here because let's say DeMar got hit, you know, a nanosecond, a millisecond later, he might have been totally fine. Completely true. Presuming that commotio cordis is what caused this event. Now, right. in truth, we don't know. And to, and to expound upon that further, the most common causes of cardiac arrest in young athletes are things like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is an abnormal thickening of the heart muscle or long QT syndrome, which is an abnormality in the way that heart repolarizes from the electrical activity that we described. Those are far more common than something like this. Additionally, in car accidents and other severe trauma to the chest, you can get what's called a cardiac contusion, where you actually see damage to the heart muscle that can occur and can serve as a nidus or focal point for arrhythmias. So there are a lot of causes why something like this may happen this was truly a freak event. I mean, if a hit to the chest induced this commonly, we'd have NFL players dropping left and right. When people ask, you know, should, my, should this be a reason my kids don't play football? I would say no, but that's orthopedic and neurocognitive issues aside. Yeah. So that, those are decisions people have to make for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And you were mentioning all cardiac contusion, you know, cardiac arrest. So there's a difference between cardiac arrest and heart attack, because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people are like, oh, he had a heart attack on the field, but he didn't necessarily have a heart attack on the field. Correct. So just to kind of highlight a couple terms, because a lot of these things get tossed around a lot. So a cardiac arrest is where there is loss of circulatory system related to heart dysfunction. Essentially, your heart isn't beating for whatever reason, and you have no pulse. That is an absolute medical emergency. That's, and there are a lot of reasons for that. A heart attack can cause that because arrhythmias can result from a heart attack. However, there are many causes of cardiac arrest. Blood clots to the lungs, you know, uh, bleeding can do it. There are many, many causes. We contrast that to heart attack or what we in medicine call a myocardial infarction. As we talked about the heart muscle, there are really three main arteries that supply the surface uh, of the heart with blood flow. Mm -hmm. With a heart attack, what happens is those arteries have a disruption in supply, usually by a combination of what we call plaque rupture, meaning that there's a little bit of plaque in the artery that tears and a blood clot forms at that site. So the heart muscle now isn't getting blood flow and starts to generate arrhythmias crying for help. Um, but that is what causes a heart attack. So it's disruption in blood flow to the muscle of the heart and then subsequently damage to the heart muscle. But that's only one of many causes of cardiac arrest. Similarly, when we look at other terms like, you know, was there a problem with his heart muscle, what we call a cardiomyopathy, that usually involves a weakening or dysfunction of the heart muscle, which is different than congestive heart failure, which is a clinical syndrome of 
fluid overload, fluid in the lungs, volume retention, shortness of breath, and things like this. So it's very nuanced, but what I would say in Mr. Hamlin's case is he certainly suffered a cardiac arrest. He had no pulse. It's what we call a shockable rhythm, meaning that they put the AED on and were able to defibrillate him appropriately. But there are many causes of cardiac arrest. And also another, I, it's not an acronym, another word that people use also is heart failure. Mm -hmm. So would that be the same as a heart attack or it would be totally different too? It's a great question. So when we look at the heart attack, the heart attack is the acute event where the heart muscle dies. Now, hopefully we're able to get to a cath lab or a surgeon's able to plug new blood vessels in and, and revive the heart muscle. But a heart attack is essentially a point where an interruption of blood flow to the heart muscle causes it to die um, and subsequently can cause dysfunction of the muscle. That in and of itself is not heart failure. That would cause a cardiomyopathy, a weakening or dysfunction of the heart muscle. If as the heart remodels and tries to compensate for that insult that's occurred to it, however, it starts to behave in an inappropriate fashion. The body starts holding on to salt and water and retaining fluid. That results in swelling of the legs, shortness of breath, inability to lay flat, fatigue on exertion. People may start to note that when they put their socks on that there's pitting or that the actual legs are swollen up. And that clinical syndrome is called congestive heart failure if it's due to weakening of the heart muscle or dysfunction of the heart muscle. So that's a little longer. So mm -hmm. you would experience symptoms a little longer than you would for a heart attack or cardiac arrest. Typically so, yes. So a lot of times what we see is that people who have come in with heart failure are first misdiagnosed with pneumonia or bronchitis because they'll say, you know, I've had this cough that hasn't gone away. I've been short of breath for a while. I've noticed my legs are getting a little swollen. It tends to be more of a subacute phenomenon versus a cardiac arrest, which I would argue is the most acute phenomenon we have in medicine to the point where interruption of blood flow to the brain can result in irreversible neurologic damage with only a, within only a few minutes. So let's talk about that actually a little bit. So we were mentioning before we started recording the importance of CPR. And what exactly is happening when you're giving CPR? Is it pumping the blood for you so this way your brain is still functioning? You know, what's going on during that? I think it's a great question. And we don't fully understand all the mechanics of it, but to say this out loud, looking at this event, this truly was a freak occurrence. People shouldn't be staying up late at night worrying about like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have commotio cordis. What's far more relevant and important, however, is for the general population to get certified and understand when to perform and how to perform CPR, because it truly can be the difference in someone else's living or dying. What essentially happens when someone suffers a cardiac arrest is there is an interruption of blood flow for a variety of reasons. It can be an arrhythmia, can be a heart attack, but can also be a blood clot or other disorders that can occur. The first step is first establishing whether or not a patient or a person is responsive and whether or not they have a pulse. If they have no pulse, typically CPR is initiated. And I would direct uh, listeners to the AHA website in terms of how to get certified and what the actual steps of CPR are. But essentially what someone is doing when they're performing CPR is to deliver forceful thrust to the chest um, in a way 
that kind of simulates heart, the heart beating. So what will happen is the heart chamber kind of passively fills with blood and then the forceful compression kind of pushes blood out into the body in a pseudo pulse-like fashion. Now, so you're kind of being the heart. Yes. Now, it's never as good. It's never as good. But as, you know, the heart beating on its own, but can be enough to help tissues that are starved for oxygen stay alive. So really, it's a, in many cases a temporizing measure until the underlying cause of what's caused the cardiac arrest is found and reversed. Whether it's an arrhythmia and someone runs with an AED, which will shock your heart back into normal rhythm, or one of the many other causes of cardiac arrest. But early effective CPR trained but by trained personnel is incredibly important for survival. The unfortunate thing when we look at out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is the prognosis, meaning when we're looking at how someone's gonna do, sadly is terrible. Generally speaking, the prognosis being good outcome, how people are going to walk out of the hospital someday, is anywhere about 10 to 20% or so. Wow, that's pretty low. It really is, and the unfortunate tragedy is because many people, when they collapse, it's either under-recognized what's going on or that the people who are there aren't skilled or don't have the training to deal with it. So that's why it's so incredibly important for the general populace to become CPR certified. Um, in the event that people make it to the hospital, there are multiple layers of additional things that can be done, but really the time to CPR and early defibrillations are the key metrics that are gonna help determine how well somebody does. And then we were also talking about how most schools in New Jersey have certified CPR trainers, have an AED present, um, but what if, you know, myself, I am not CPR certified, I should be. I do not know how to use an AED, but I've seen it on TV, and you know, usually the AED has instructions on it, or it tells you what to do, usually, is what I've heard. Would that be sufficient? In the absence of anything else, yes. And sometimes when I've even heard of operators from 911 who do an incredible job and try and walk people through how to perform CPR. But nothing is gonna be the same as a good CPR certification course. Now, when we look at it, yes, there are instructions within the AED, but having a sense of kind of where to place the pads and having done it on a simulated model is incredibly important to understand, you know, how to make this work and when the actual situation occurs. Now, I hate to say it because Hollywood has done a great job of making CPR look very glamorous. It's really a very hard thing for people to watch. And doing this as, as medical professionals, the nurses, the techs, the people who are at the bedside all the time, not that you get numb to it, but you get used to it. But what you really saw that was so tragic and striking on that night game was the just utter amazement, bewilderment, fear that you saw in the other players watching this for the first time. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. You can feel ribs break. You can, it's not a pleasant experience. So absolutely in the right scenario is life-saving, but it's not the somebody pumps on somebody's chest for two minutes and they wake up completely fine and, you know, <laughs> ask for something to eat. That, 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 that isn't how it usually works, unfortunately. Unfortunately is right. So we've talked about 
cardiac arrest and Damar Hamlin. What about recovering? Because he seems to be making remarkable progress, and some people are throwing the word miracle. Is that usually the case, or you know, is the road to recovery after you know cardiac arrest or heart attack, heart failure, a really long road? So it's a great question. Usually, it is a very long road. Now, he also is incredibly lucky. So I think using right. the word miracle is, is a is an appropriate use here. Although part of the miracle was how well prepared and how well the people on the sidelines reacted to this. So when you look at his situation, so assuming this was commotio cordis, um, where that caused a arrhythmia, unfortunately, sometimes even despite early CPR and defibrillation, patients cannot be resuscitated, which is truly a, a very disturbing and, and tragic thing because usually it's young kids, 10 to 20 years old, who are having this type of thing happen. That being said, the key and most important prognostic factor in ter- determining whether someone will do okay is early identification, CPR, and early defibrillation. So just hammer that point home to the audience. That really is gonna, could make the difference between a young athlete living or dying. Now, he also was a remarkably healthy candidate, a mm-hmm. fit athlete, someone who probably had more reserve than the average person. I will tell you, sadly, dealing particularly with older patients, patients with other medical problems, such a rapid recovery is incredibly rare, incredibly rare. Um, Assuming someone survives the index event, as I said, the survival rate for an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is about 10 to 20% or so. So not anything that is, is there's still a lot of work to be done, is how I would describe it. And you mentioned recognizing this happening because timing is absolutely everything. I mean, Damar just fell on the field. Would that be the indication of, okay, something's up, we need to get out there? Or would there be more of an indication of something happening? I assume the first thought when they saw him go down was orthopedic trauma, spine injury, something like this, because it's far more common. The key thing that tells you that something is going on though is if somebody's unresponsive. So the, one of the first steps in CPR is to determine whether or not the person or the victim, as we say, is mentating and responsive. If they are, chances are they have blood flow to the brain. You assess pulses, vital signs, things like this. If they're unresponsive, immediately assess for a pulse. If a pulse cannot be determined, usually we then initiate CPR. So Damar was incredible first incredibly unlucky that this happened to him right but then incredibly lucky because he had trained medical staff who knew exactly what to do on the sidelines you know i was watching a review and apparently before every nfl game the code team as we call it mm-hmm. goes through the steps who's going to be code leader establishes communication it's kind of the penultimate goal of a code team is to have a clear delineated process beforehand and let's be honest, I'm sure NFL professionals have access to some of the best you know, doctors and right. nurses and stat and paramedics in the world standing right there. So when he went down, they likely immediately assessed him for what's going on. And again, early administration of CPR and defibrillation is absolutely why he's alive today. Right. And, you know, he's incredibly lucky to be on this kind of world stage with all these world-class doctors, whereas, you know, 
if we're in Little League on the field over here in Neptune, that might not necessarily be the case. Exactly. Which, again, if I haven't said it enough during this podcast, having everyone being CPR <laughs> certified is the key takeaway from something like this. Because Absolutely. early identification, early initiation of CPR, and rapid defibrillation, God forbid something like this were to happen again or were to happen in front of you, is going to be the key determinant on whether or not somebody lives or dies. We were talking a little bit about TV and how on TV you see CPR administered and AEDs and things like that. But whenever you see someone having a heart attack, you usually see them, you know, grabbing their chest or, you know, reaching out for help or, you know, just some type of dramatic occasion for them. And you would assume that they're having a heart failure or heart attack or something happening to them. But you're saying that that's ne not necessarily the case in all all the different scenarios, or or maybe it is for some and not for others. What should we really expect on, like, not commotio commotio cordis? Thank you. Not that necessarily, but more like we're sitting at the dinner table with our grandpa, and would he grab his chest? Would he know what's going on? So it's a great question in terms of early recognition of cardiac emergencies. And what I would say is Hollywood always makes things look, look way more glamorous than they are, right? Um, or more dramatic than they are. Sometimes it is that one moment it's elephants sitting on my chest, chest pressure, worst pain in my life, can't breathe, sweat pouring down my brow. That is absolutely the case that that's sometimes how it occurs. Other times it's, you know, I'm having some chest pain that's kind of radiating up into my left shoulder. I don't know whether I pulled something. Going up and down the steps, it's getting a lot worse. I'm really short of breath, I don't know why. Particularly women and older patients, diabetics, can have an atypical presentation. It's funny, I'm always struck by, people kind of have a sense that something's wrong, but oftentimes there's a sense of denial about it. Right. As an interventional cardiologist, I often come into a room, look at somebody's EKG and say, you know, I'm sorry, sir, you're having a heart attack. And they go, no, I'm not. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure, yeah, we are. Right, <laughs> right now. The, uh, <laughs> right now, we, we need to go to the cath lab. So there is a spectrum of clinical presentations. It's not always what you, as seen on TV, but it's important, particularly if you have risk factors or a history of heart disease, to have a low index of suspicion to seek medical care should symptoms occur. Now those symptoms can be, in the most extreme cases, loss of consciousness. So if you see somebody collapse, assessing, are they responsive? Do they have a pulse? And again, initiating CPR, if that's the case, that is quite dramatic, but often can be quite life-saving. Right. Alternatively, for heart attacks, sometimes it can be a lot more subtle. So particularly if you've been having symptoms, it's worth discussing with your doctor. Or at least speaking with your doctor. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like a lot of that denial is like, oh, well, I don't need to go to the hospital. Well, at least give them a call and see if maybe you should. Yeah, and one of the challenges during COVID, and I knew this from being on call, was how reluctant people were to seek care. Mm -hmm. Because A, no one thinks it's happening to them, and B, when COVID was kind of at its peak, like that was the last yeah. place you wanted to be. I would have patients call and say, you know, I'm having really bad substernal chest pain. And you respond, you know, you need to get to the emergency room. And then the response would be, no, COVID's there. Click. And it's <laughs> like, yeah, I really hope they're going to be okay. Um, it's uh, all kidding aside, though, take symptoms seriously. If something seems like it's wrong, get checked out. I've had many patients 
kind of apologize or feel like, oh, you know, it ended up being nothing, I was wrong. That's okay. I'd rather that right. than have you sit at home having a heart attack. That's kind of the thing we're striving to avoid here. Right, right, exactly. You'd rather, you know, I'd rather you be alive and wrong than, you know, the ultimatum there. Exactly. No, and it's it's true. Symptoms can be very, can be very subtle. Um, so listen to your body. It's telling you what's going on. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today, Dr. Kiss. It's truly my pleasure. And if I haven't said it enough during the course of this podcast, please, people, go out, get CPR certified, be ready to help in the event of emergency. I think it's critically important. The reason Damar Hamlin is alive and neurocognitively intact today is because he had good trained staff who was readily available and were able to perform early CPR, rapid defibrillation, and get him back to a really good neurocognitive outcome. Absolutely. And let's hope he's still doing well in the future. Absolutely. If you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. The material provided through this Help You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.